You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. My name is Megan Pitcock, and today I'm talking to Michigan State Representative Andrew Fink. So recently, the Mackinac Public Policy Conference took place. Governor Whitmer talked about how to keep people in Michigan and draw people to Michigan. Can you speak a little bit more about that, please? Yeah, that and Megan, thanks for having me on. That was the the big policy feature for Governor Whitmer was announcing that she wants to do this um, commission on uh, uh, our population issue in Michigan. And the fundamental issue is that we are a state that's actually shrunk in population in the last couple of years and compared with the rest of the state has been, or I should say rest of the country has been more or less stagnant for decades. And so if you compare our population to the, uh, to the, in, to the, to the national population, our national population over the last 40 years has increased by, oh, something like 50%. And our state population has remained more or less stagnant, grown by a little less than 10%. And so that means compared to the rest of the country, Michigan has shrunk by about 40%. And while there's some kind of natural explanations for that as other parts of the country, uh, weren't as populated as early as Michigan, it's still a bad sign that our state is more or less uh, at, um, uh, you know, a net kind of neutral in, in terms of population growth. Uh, and so addressing that problem, I think, is actually, that is a serious uh, issue. And the governor is, I think, correct that this is a, a problem. The, the issue, the, the, the problem I have with her approach here is forming a commission, I think, is, is totally unnecessary. There's already a lot of uh, good research on what the states that are growing and what the states that are shrinking you know, have in common and what makes them different. The commonalities of the states that are growing the most are that they have low tax rates, including both low corporate and individual income tax rates, uh, that they have affordable energy, uh, again, especially for you know large businesses that that use massive amounts of energy, uh, and they have in general relatively light regulatory structures. And as much as we complain about regulation from Washington, a lot of business regulation comes from uh, the state level. And the states that are growing have less of it, uh, or or more rational, better, easier to understand versions uh, than Michigan and the other states that are shrinking do. We're not the worst on those scores generally. If you look, you know, if you look at some economist research from, you know, there's a, a, a book out every year called Rich States, Poor States. Michigan generally kind of rates about middle of the road. But when you combine things like uh, the reliance, the, the heavy reliance on one industry, the auto industry over the years, uh, the fact that we're never going to have the best January weather uh, to compete with, you know, Austin, Texas or, uh, you know the the Gulf Coast. Uh, when you when you look at the advantages and disadvantages that we can affect, those things like taxes, energy rates, and the regulatory system, those are, are dials that we could move, and it's it's up to us to do that. And we really don't need a twenty eight person commission to to recommend that. And my fear is that this commission is going to be heavily influenced by the governor's own policy preferences, and they're going to wind up saying that we should be taxing corporations more. They're going to wind up saying that uh, we need to be doing more subsidies uh, to individual uh, businesses or subsidizing certain behaviors, and it's really not going to be a positive. If anything, I think that that it's more like this commission is more likely to 
uh, make recommendations that will put us further behind not only our neighbors like Indiana or Ohio, but other states that people are moving to at high rates. And how do these population and economic issues relate to Hillsdale more specifically? Well, if you mean the community of Hillsdale, I think that all of these economic decisions that, that our state makes actually have a um, an outsized impact on my district, which includes Hillsdale County, Branch County, and the city of Hudson, and Lenawee County, and, and the surrounding area. And that's for the reason that we're not only on the border of one state, this is, I'm the only representative that has two states on, on its border. And that means that people are constantly comparing what, you know, the 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 way they can live, the way they can thrive in Michigan with the way that they can do that in Angola, Indiana, or, uh, you know, Williams County, Ohio, or even a little further away in, in uh, you know, Toledo or Dayton or whatever. You know, people are aware that it's not a huge uh, move for them to go someplace else if it makes a, a difference in, you know, h- how well their family is going to succeed. So I think that, that, you know, when it comes to these economic decisions like tax rates, uh, auto insurance rates, uh, right to work, I think that we do have to, to be more concerned about it than people living farther north in our state or, or in more heavily populated areas uh, because the, the movement of people is pretty fluid. Uh, so that would be my answer is that I think, I think the stakes are higher because we are more likely to feel the effects of poor policy choices uh, more immediately. I know recently there was a bill passed related to union work in which employers would have to give worker information to unions regardless of whether or not they were a part of said unions. Can you speak a little bit more about that? How has the current Democrat-run government uh, dealt with unions and how do you feel about their friendliness towards them? Yeah, that, so that, right, the, the, that bill would would put unions in a position where um, they would have information by which they could potentially pressure non-union members uh, or people who who don't wish to be union members uh, into being union members. Um, the 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 approach to unions, in my opinion, that the state should should basically take is people are free to associate in that way if they want to. Uh, but the state doesn't need to kind of bias the system in their favor. And that is very much the approach that the, the legislative Democrats and the governor have taken to this point, not only in the, in the, in the highest profile issues like the prevailing wage uh, issue that we've already dealt with in the House and, uh, and, and right to work. But this week on the agenda, there are a series of bills regarding uh, issues that the state has previously said are not subject to collective bargaining in the employment of uh, teachers in public schools. And the, uh, the Democrats have put on the agenda uh, bills to, to, take some of, to put some of those issues back into the collective bargaining world, which is, is just almost definitionally bad for uh, the school districts in general, bad for the parents and the children in these school districts, because it, it, artificially empowers the teachers union to negotiate on subjects that it is not in the best interest of the people of our state uh, to be a part of of the collective bargaining negotiations. So I think that the the bias toward organized labor rather than just, you know, the general uh, it's supporting the, the the labor groups themselves in their in their uh, efforts on on behalf of their members would be one thing. But biasing the law towards them is is another. And so I think 
that approach is is where the Democrats are putting the the people of our state at risk by adopting policies that artificially kind of kind of lean things in the direction of organized labor. Um, for another bill that's going through or law that's going through is related to voting laws, uh, specifically related to what was previously passed in, I believe it was Prop 2. Um, can you talk a bit about that and sort of what's going on with that? Yes. So last week we voted on a series, I don't remember the number now, but a series of bills that were partially intended to implement uh, Prop 2, but in some cases went beyond. And let me just give you an example of what I mean by going beyond. So Prop 2 says that there'll be nine days of early voting uh, in Michigan. There must be at least nine days of early voting. That means that the your, your municipality's got to have a way to provide uh, nine days in, in which you can walk in and cast a ballot. And uh, that, that was already functionally pretty easy because you could always go to your municipality and uh, uh, fill out and turn in an absentee ballot um, at the time. But this is it's a little bit different, but generally it's a similar kind of approach. It's just that now we're mandating that every municipality, including the small ones that have trouble affording things like this, uh, nine days of constant uh, early voting. Um and that's uh, so that's kind of what Prop 2 requires. What the legislation they moved last week uh, would instead do is is allow up to 29 days of early voting. The difficulty here is not only that the election security issues of early voting are exacerbated by having three times as many days of it, but because it's permissive and it says you may do up to 29 days, the, the municipalities that will be best uh, equipped to have staffing uh, for up to 29 days of early voting are going to be the larger ones with larger budgets, people who already have folks on full-time, for instance. So if you compare that to, say, a very rural part of the state, you know, a couple of the, of the townships or well, several of the townships in my district have fewer than 1,000 residents. Those are places where they will not have the budget to have a full-time staff on for four weeks of early voting. And that means that it will become easier to pass legislation, I should say, easier to, uh, to do the early voting and therefore more, you know, more likely to get higher turnout in certain parts of the state. And those, those parts of the state will tend to be uh, Democrat areas of the state because that's our cities tend to be more Democrat and the countryside tends to be more Republican. And so it's taking this, this idea in prop two of nine days of early voting, multiplying it to a point that it will wind up having uh, unequal results across the state. And so uh, that's, that's one example of, of why they're being somewhat careless in the implementation here. You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. My name is Megan Pidcock, and I'm talking to State Representative Andrew Fink. How do you think this conversation or discussion um, and passing these laws will affect future future elect- elections, especially with uh, an upcoming presidential election within the next bit? Yeah, I mean, it remains to be seen exactly what the final version of these of this legislation is, because as far as I know, the Senate has not um, the Senate. Well, I know the Senate has not yet acted on on this legislation, so we'll see. But the concern is, I would say overall, uh, it creates 
additional points at which there could be a failure in the in the system, whether it's just in kind of um, in election security in, in the sense that uh, somebody could intentionally do something nefarious in, in the election, uh, but even just uh, uh, it creates additional points at which you could make mistakes. Uh, the analogy I would draw here is when I was in the Marines, one of my bosses liked to say, you know, why are you touching that ammo? He, w- he had been in the past an artillery officer. And anytime you touch the ammo, you can make a mistake. You could drop it. You could misplace it. You could confuse it for some other kind of ammo. Um, and so the, the danger in extra touches is that that's, that's the occasion on which something can go wrong. So you want to minimize how often you're touching the ammo. But by introducing things like extra days of early voting, changing signature verification requirements, um, increasing drop boxes, uh, another bill in this package uh, allows you to use um, non-state-issued uh, ID as your voting ID. By introducing all of this variability into the system, it's like adding another ammo touch each each time, if you follow my, my analogy here, Megan. Mm-hmm. So the the likelihood of things going wrong increases when you introduce complexity to the system to the point that you're essentially, you have a chaotic election administration. So that's the concern is, you know, by, by loosening up kind of the way we administer the elections, you're just making it more and more likely, whether intentional or by, you know, by, by what we sometimes call misfeasance or malfeasance, you're just more likely to have uh, inconsistent or even incorrect results. Uh, sort of looking at the more local level, I know that Hillsdale requested to declare a state of emergency from the ice storm, but Governor Whitmer uh, denied it. Do you think you could speak a bit more about that? Yeah, um, I think that the uh, the the overall response there was, um, I, I think that she probably misperceived how severe the issue was for uh the south central part of the, of the state. So Hillsdale County, especially Lenaway County had um, uh, a similar effect in Jackson County as well. Um, there have been though continuing conversations uh, in the energy committee. I'm not on the energy committee. I have not been, um, been at the hearings, but the utilities uh, and the administration has both been um, presenting to the, the energy committee. And I do think that there's likely to be some legislative um uh, if not uh, corrections, kind of an attempt to pre- to prevent uh, the severity of the uh, power outages that we saw, and I think that would be good. Uh, I know that the, the utilities have said that they've they've increased their tree trimming uh, in the last uh, several years, and I you know I've seen the data, and it's true that they've done more. But I think that um, redoubling those efforts might be the best approach at this point. It, it will be laborious and it will be expensive, but uh, it's obviously worthwhile compared with having people out. You know, in our area, we had people out, out of power for as many as eight, nine days. Um, and then, you know, we had some secondary, you know, blackouts again shortly afterwards that was nowhere near as, as large. But having uh, lived through the summer of 2021, when we had, I think, about three separate two or three day blackouts, that repetition is very disheartening. Uh, so I think that there's likely to be this attention is likely to generate some kind of policy response. Um, we'll see exactly what it looks like. Um, and, and not only am I not on the committee, but the, you know, the legislation is probably going to be only go forward if it, if it, um, 
has bipartisan support. So we'll we'll see what it looks like. But getting some kind of, of a response together, I think most people will want to support because it, it was a severe situation. Uh, is there anything else that you're involved in sort of on the local level that you would want to talk about? Well, uh the I guess the, the main thing I'd plug on the local level is the uh, upcoming um, Independence Day celebrations across the district. I'm not sure yet w- which all of which I'll uh, participate in, but I, I can say I'll be at the, the Great American Celebration uh, following the Hillsdale Parade that the American Legion hosts. Um, I'm looking forward to that because regardless of which issues we've, we're covering on a given uh, in a given interview, Megan, uh, Harkening back to the principles of our founding and the ways in which you know, our country enables its citizens to to freely pursue um, their hopes and dreams is uh, it's always good medicine for us uh, politically. So uh, that's I think the uh, the thing I'd like to highlight locally. Um, up in Lansing, there's about to, the budget's probably going to go through next week, and that will have major impacts on our local governments and other local entities. Uh, so we'll see how that all comes together. But in terms of local civic activity, uh, that's what I'm looking forward to is being with uh, being with our friends and neighbors to celebrate our country's birthday. As far as the budget goes, what are you looking for within it and how do you think it will turn out? Well, what I'd say is um, there are things that I would like to see in the budget that uh, I don't I'm not terribly optimistic about. I'd like there to be some funding for emergency uh, 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 radio services. I don't think that's uh, terribly likely to come together. Uh, there are some other some other issues that uh, I've advocated for in the past that I'm not sure about, and that's really for the reason that the majority of this being the first time they've run the budget uh, in the unified Democrat government since 1984 have essentially shut us out completely. And I think that they're expecting to pass a budget that will only have Democrat support next week, or at least it'll be very close to that. So we'll see what happens there. And if, if it becomes a situation where ideas from outside their caucus are going to be brought to the table, I will relish the opportunity. But in the meantime, I just can't say I'm terribly optimistic about the budget, and I have not supported any – I have not been able to support the budget for any department uh, along the way so far this, this term. As far as how the Democrat-run legislature has been, do you think the trend that the budget has followed will continue to be the case as far as bipartisan involvement goes? The trend of uh, of kind of a a partisan approach to Mm -hmm. the Yeah. Uh, This has been an extremely partisan environment in Lansing this year. And... Uh, the way some of the members of the majority have described it is that they have a lot of pent-up Democrat ideas. Um, that whatever the explanation is, uh, that's that's just been the way it has been. So, I think last week there were two bill packages in the House that passed on party line votes. That's been fairly common. Um, I do expect that it's likely to continue. There just hasn't really been any serious effort to. Uh, to bring Republicans into the conversation. Obviously, that's the prerogative of the majority, uh, but they essentially are going to own this entire legacy because that's the way that they've kind of wanted it. So whatever this term produces in general, you know, whether it's the budget or other things, it's, it's likely to be uh, almost exclusively because it's a Democrat priority. And I also think some of this relates to the governor and perhaps her future ambitions. 
And so she's, she's sort of pushing things in a direction um, that are her priorities and uh, that she'd like to have, you know, kind of on her, on her resume if she pursues higher office from here. So I, I, I do think that's the story. I don't think it's good, but I do think it's true. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate talking to you. Well, thank you, Megan. I appreciate it. And it's good to, to uh, get these interviews going again. Yes. And I look forward to more of them over the summer. Yes, me as well. Thank you. My name is Megan Pidcock, and you've been listening to Representative Andrew Fink on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Find more interviews with Representative Fink or other content like this on RadioFreeHillsdale.com. Once again, you're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM.